Good morning. Good morning. It is good to be together with God's people. I'm grateful for Galen filling in last week as I got a, a break from uh, preaching. Spending time with family has been good, but it's good to be back with this church. And I got to tell you, as the preacher of this church, hearing a song like that sung <clears throat> is a powerful thing, knowing some of the stories that are in this room. From little Addie, who's standing up, raising her hand, proclaiming this from the naivete, right, of faith, right, the, the beginning stages, those of you that are pouring into her life, to some of you have dealt with some really difficult things over the past few years. To, to hear that proclaimed, God, we bless you in the good times, and even when the darkness comes, blessed be your name. I, it's a blessing to be a part of a family that proclaims that, no matter what season we're in. And I know a lot of us are hoping for better things in 2017. Maybe it's better relationships. Maybe it's some goals about health. Or maybe it's spirituality, a focus on relationship with God. This year, there's some commitments I've made and let one of our elders know who's going to hold me accountable to some new things. I want to hear from God more deeply than I have in the past. I want to walk beside you as brothers and sisters. Uh, and we have some financial goals too. And I don't know about you, this may be one of those seasons where you're thinking about the, the budget that needs to look a little different this year or or who knows what it might be. Uh, and I want to encourage you, just as was mentioned earlier in this uh, service, about Financial Peace University. Holly and I went through this class several years ago, and it was a great blessing to us. It was early in our marriage, and we set some standards when it comes to budget and tried to set up some savings, and it's been a huge blessing, uh, the, the principles that came from that. And so if this is one of those seasons for you where you're trying to get back on track or maybe step out of debt, uh, there's some great people that would love to walk with you uh, to help you find freedom in some new ways uh, there. Uh, also, our, our classes, I would encourage you to stick around after this service for our classes. Uh, there's some great teachers. They're going to be providing great spiritual food and nurture for us uh, and, and a new relational opportunity with people uh, within our stage of life. There will be mentors in some of those classes that may look like different stages as well. But I want to encourage you to try that out today. Uh, be there, make that commitment as we start the year off with some new things. You know, uh, I talked about financial peace, and, and today I want to begin a two-week series, just two weeks, okay? You can handle this, about generosity, money, stewardship. And one thing I've noticed growing up in the church and reading Scripture as I really began to dig into it was that Jesus talked about money a whole lot more than the churches I grew up in did. And yet I know that when this subject comes up, some of us get real nervous because maybe we grew up in a family of origin where that was just something you didn't talk about. Or maybe the church that we grew up in taught some things that were a little off. Or maybe we've been through experiences where churches have mismanaged funds in the past. And so there tends to be kind of a, uh, an awkwardness about a conversation like this. But my belief is that churches that don't talk about this are committing spiritual malpractice. Because if this was that important to Jesus, and if money has the kind of power that it has in our lives, we would be foolish not to address these things and look at how Scripture talks about them in our lives. See, money's more than what's printed on a page. It's, it's a power in our lives, isn't it? It has a power to make us feel secure and, and in control. It can also make us feel as if everything's out of control. And what we call that sometimes, if we're not careful, it, it's idolatry is what it can turn into. So we want to dethrone that idol, don't we? We want to allow God to be the place where we find our security to know that he will take care of us as he has in the past. And I want you to think about that because when it comes to idols, I think the question is how much is enough? How much is enough? 
And if you can't answer that question, it might just be an idol in our lives. Because when it comes to money in our culture, it's really hard to answer that question, I think, isn't it? Because it's always just a bit more, no matter where it is we are on the scale. But I want to assure you about one thing as we walk into this next two weeks of conversation. This series is not about what I or the leaders of this church want from you. This is about what we want for you. We want to see you released from the burdens of idolatry and greed and what that can bring into our lives. And that can happen whether we're well off or whether we don't seem to have enough. An obsession over this in our lives can often lead us to all kinds of trouble. But I think there is a freedom that can be found as we uh, live into the principles that Scripture teaches, that Jesus teaches about generosity. And I want to talk about that today. This is about finances and money. This is also about our time, our resources. Our, our time may be the most valuable thing in our lives today, honestly, might it be? It's a hard thing to give up, to give to others. But I'm, I'm grateful to be a part of a church where time and resources, money, you are a generous people. I want to ask how we might lean into that even more in this new year in 2017. Let's open with prayer as we we step into this conversation. God, I I pray today that uh, whatever concerns might be there, God, individually in lives, that that, that you would step into those, that you would bring assurance, God, this morning, that you would would lead our hearts to want to have more joy and generosity. And God, I know that there are situations this morning where that seems impossible or it seems hard to have joy any time we hand over finances because at the end of the month, it's really hard to figure out where everything's going to come from. But God, we trust and we put our trust again in you that, that this is not a world full of scarcity, that you're a God full of abundance. You're a God who's, who continues to care for us, that provides. And so God, we trust you as that great provider again today. And God, whatever it is that we need to give more of, whether it's our service and our talents, whether it's our our finances, whether it's our time, God, would you prod our hearts in just the unique way you need to for each one in the room this morning. And I pray that we walk out, God, with a greater appreciation, a greater gratitude for what you have given. We bless your name today in the good times and even when the darkness closes in. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Well, I was 20 years old when I got married to Holly. And uh, we were students in Abilene, and I, I remember there was a lot of love to go around, but there wasn't a couch to sit on. That was our first issue. And so we asked around from friends and loved ones, we said, does anyone have an extra couch that could loan the newlyweds? And sure enough, my uncle and aunt were getting new furniture for their living room, and so they said, yeah, you can have our couch. And it wasn't much. In fact, they were getting rid of it for a reason. It was a nice floral design, probably you know, design, you know early 90s type thing you can imagine. Uh, it wasn't all that comfortable, but it was a treasure for us as we were starting out in our marriage. And so I called a friend, and, and, and we went, and we picked up that couch. He had a truck, and so we drove the three hours to Abilene and put it in our, our new place where we were going to get to live, our home. And I remember the feeling of gratitude we had, knowing that we'd have a place to sit in our new house. Now, we had a bed. We had a table in the living room. That was really about it, but it seemed like it was more than enough. And we moved into that that new place with great pride for what we had, this enjoyment of getting to not have to drop each other off at night, but getting to enjoy one another in our new place. And and, and I remember it was the season where the Athens Olympics were, were happening that year. And the Summer Olympics were just starting, and we were putting together all of our Walmart furniture, you know, where you got to 
screw in all those screws. And it was this exciting thing because the opening ceremonies were happening. We ordered pizza and we we're putting everything together. And there was just this joy about life. There was a gratitude that was welling up in us for these small gifts that we had. It seemed like so much at the time. Now, I have no idea where that couch is today. It's not in our possession. Maybe some other lovely young couple is enjoying it today. I don't know. Things were tight back then. And I distinctly remember being after church with a group of people where they invited us to go out to lunch. And I remember thinking, that would be great as long as you're paying. Because we can't do that right now. And I remember thinking, if we could just save up enough at the end of the month, if there were no unexpected expenses, we might just be able to go out for that one uh, date night at a restaurant, you know, share an appetizer and a meal, maybe, maybe sneak into a movie somewhere. Just enough at the end of the month. And I remember the joy of being able to just not have to do the dishes that night. And things have changed in our lives. Because we were so grateful for those small gifts at that time in our lives. And now, well, we get to go out more than once a month. And we have nicer furniture than that with the floral design. And I wonder if we're as thankful as we were in those early years for the small things that we did have. Now it's not quite as big of a deal, but then it was all a gift. And I'm imagining as I'm telling these stories, you might be going back to other moments in your life as well, right? Smile on your face about times before when things were harder, but in some ways they were simpler. And, and maybe you've lost that acute awareness that everything is a gift. Success can be dangerous, can it? We get everything we wanted and in the process. We lose what we had at the very start. Give your Bibles, open with me if you would, to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 24 is the main passage I want to spend time in this morning. It's an interesting passage, I think an important passage for our times, but one that gets left beside from other parts of our Bibles that might be a little more well-worn. It's the great prophet Moses who's speaking to the Israelites before they enter the promised land. And at one point, this is what he says to them about the things that they will have. Not the things that they do have, the things that they will have. Deuteronomy 24, verse 19. When you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. Basically, God's saying one of these days you might just have some land in the land I'm going to give you. And if you're a farmer, here's what I want you to do. Don't be so conscientious that you harvest everything that you have. Go over it once, and if you leave things behind, don't go back and pick them back up. I want you to leave that for the widow, for the orphan, for the stranger who's in your midst. Leave the edge, leave the corner for those who will come behind you who might just need it even more. Then the instruction continues, verse 20. When you beat the olives from your trees, do not go back over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. Now, wait, wait, wait. Imagine yourself as a vineyard worker. You finally come into the land. You're able to set up these trellises and rows. You're looking over. You've watered and cared for these vines. 
And then you remember back and you hear this word that you heard from the past, a word that said, yeah, when you go beat the olives, take them off the tree, but the, the grapes, but don't, don't take them all. You need to leave some behind. Part of me would say, God, I worked hard for this. I don't need to leave this for people who didn't work as hard for these things. You've given me this land. I ought to be conscientious with the land. I ought to take everything there is. And that's not what God says. And it doesn't seem fair, does it? Why should somebody who hasn't done all of the work get benefit from those who have? But the teaching isn't over. It ends in this way, verse 22. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. That is why I command you to do this. What's Moses saying? Moses isn't talking to farmers and vineyard workers in this passage. He's talking to former slaves who've been liberated. He's talking to people who've seen the great wonders of the plagues. He's, 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 these people have seen the frogs and the blood in the Nile. They've seen the firstborn children die in the tears of their slave owners. They've, they've seen God part the waters, and, and then they long for another God in the midst of all this. But God provides them Ten Commandments, and then they wander. They wander for 40 years. And before they enter into the Promised Land, that's when these words are delivered. So this is not a present tense command. This is a future command. God's talking not to farmers and vineyard workers. He's talking to people with no land. And he's saying there's going to come a day where you have more than floral couches. There's going to come a day when you'll be able to eat out more than once a month if things go just right. There's going to come a day when you have more rooms than you have people in your home. And in that day, I want you to remember Because there's a danger that you'll forget your past. There's a danger you'll forget the liberation that I've done on your behalf. And you want to say, but it isn't fair, God. It's my land. It's my hard work. It's not fair. Exactly. Because being rescued from Egypt isn't fair. Being liberated isn't fair. Redemption isn't fair. Grace isn't fair. God isn't fair. Thank God. Amen. So is this passage in Deuteronomy a series of commands? Or is it more a series of warnings? Warnings that one day things might be a certain way and they'll look different than they do as slaves wandering in this circle. One day you're going to enter into the land and you might just forget what you know so well today. And Deuteronomy 24 isn't the only place where this command shows up. You can turn a book uh, behind this, a couple before, to to Leviticus, Leviticus 19. Similar command shows up there, a little bit different. Leviticus 19, verse 9 and 10. Listen to this. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. A couple chapters later, Leviticus 23, verse 22. Similar again, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and for the foreigner residing among you. I am the Lord your God. Again and again, this command shows up. The people who haven't yet inherited the land, there's going to come a day where you have a vineyard. There's going to come a day where you have olives. There's going to come a day when you have a crop. And in that day, You're to leave things behind for the very people you are today. 
Because you wonder where your resources are going to come from, and hopefully you've trusted that the manna will come every day at this point. But a day's going to come when others are going to need what you have, when your overflow will be their necessity. And he's telling them this before they've had any land. He's telling them when they're thrilled for what they have, which is just enough manna for the day. Because a day is coming when they're going to take their abundance for granted. Moses wanted them to develop the discipline of generosity, of gratitude at an early stage. Because the truth is, if you don't have gratitude in the days of the floral couch, you'll never have gratitude when you can go out more than once a month. If you never develop the the discipline of generosity early on, and you think, one day I'll have enough to be generous with, it's amazing how there will never be enough to be generous with when there's more than enough. I don't spend much time in Leviticus or Deuteronomy. But I was struck by these timeless principles in this passage just this week. I think they're just as relevant today than they ever have been. And what's the principle here? In a sense, I'd put it like this. Israel's in their early married years with God. They had their wedding ceremony at Sinai, made their vows, the Ten Commandments. And they're walking through the wilderness getting to know one another. God's trying to prove to his spouse that he'll be able to provide. They're learning to trust that. Their relationship's growing along the way. They're discovering that they can trust God. There will be a day when their relationship with God will be taken for granted. They'll look to other nations, to other gods, to provide what only God can. And Moses is trying to give them counsel about the resources that they'll one day have. They have little to nothing in the wilderness, but that isn't always going to be the case. And one day they're going to have so much more than they would have ever imagined. And guess what? In that moment, they're going to think they don't have enough even then. And Moses is saying, one day you're going to make ten times what you're making today. And you'll still feel like there's not enough to go around. You'll feel like you need to gather every last grain and grape and olive in your field. But I don't want you to do that because if you do that, you might just forget the story of what I've done for you in the past. In a sense, what Moses is saying is, I want you to create margin in your lives. I want you to create edges just just outside of where our neighborhood is. There's a field. You know these fields that they grow things on so they can, there's some, some kind of tax benefit they get before they sell off the development to something else, right? I mean, that's the field I'm talking about. And they, they, they harvest this field with, I don't, I'm not a farmer, so if I say this wrong, then give me grace, right? But they harvest this field with one of those circular uh, watering devices, right? So there's these edges of that field. It's a square field that, that never really get harvested. They never get taken care of. It's just kind of dry grass. And what God's trying to say is, yeah, it might be easy to circle, uh, to water in circles like that, to just plant enough that's easy to get around to. But what I want you to do is harvest the whole thing. Go to the far edges of the field, but don't keep all of those edges for yourself. You, you leave the edges, you leave the corners for those who don't have enough. Create margins, set some aside, intentionally put things at the edges that you're not going to take for those who might Needed. And Moses has more, more to say about this in, in Deuteronomy chapter 26. Turn with me there if you would. Deuteronomy 26. Listen to these, this passage. Again, talking about the day that they'll have their first crop in the, in the promised land. You see, one of these days you're going you're to have it, you're going to have that first crop, and you're going to feel like, oh, this is so good what God's given. And he gives them instructions about that very first harvest. Deuteronomy 26, verse 1. 
When you've entered the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance and have taken possession of it and settled in it, take some of the first fruits of all that you produce from the soil of the land the Lord your God is giving you and put them in a basket. Then go to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name and say to the priest in office at the time, I, I declare today to the Lord your God that I've come to the land the, the Lord swore to our ancestors to give us. The priest shall take the basket from your hands and set it down in front of the altar of the Lord your God. And then you shall declare before the Lord your God, my father was a wandering Aramean. And he went down into Egypt, a few people, and lived there and became a great nation, powerful and numerous. But the Egyptians mistreated us and made us suffer, subjecting us to harsh labor. And then we cried out to the Lord, the God of our ancestors, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our misery, toil, and oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great terror and with signs and wonders. He brought us to this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now I bring the first fruits of the soil that you, Lord, have given me. Place the basket before the Lord your God and bow down before him. Then you and the Levites and the foreigners residing among you shall rejoice in all the good things the Lord your God has given to you and your household. And when you finish setting aside a tenth of all your produce in the third year, the year of the tithe, you shall give it to the Levite, the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so they may eat in your towns. And be satisfied. Would you imagine this scene? Again, they haven't yet harvested anything. They haven't even laid their eyes on the land. And God is saying, there's going to come a day where you're going to get that first harvest. And it'll be easier to forget who gave this to all of you. But what I want you to do is take a basket. Take, take the first fruits of what you get. And I want you to take it to the priest. And I want you to lay it there before him. And I want you to tell the story. Don't forget the story. There was a day when Joseph came to this land. And then Pharaoh thought we were too numerous, and he began to put us into bondage. For over 400 years, God was silent. But guess what? God showed up, and he liberated us, and he redeemed us. And yeah, we spent a little time circling that wilderness, but look what God has done. I'm wondering what it would look like in 2017 for us to do a similar thing. For us to take the first of this year's paycheck. If we were all to just kind of come in front and we were all to lay down before God and we were to say, God, look what you've done. You were the one who, who brought the Israelites out of exile and you brought your son into this world and, and you redeemed us from the darkness and the sin of our lives. You, you've changed our lives. You provided for us. You've given us more than enough, even in the seasons where it seemed like it wasn't, Enough, God, we trust this to you because we know who you are and we tell your story because you're the giver. You're the source. You're the one who will always provide enough. He ties it back to their story. It's God who heard their cry, it says. It's God who freed them. It's God who delivered them into the promised land. And it is God who's given them the harvest that they lay before the priest. I want to encourage you to think about this principle in your own life. I believe that, that God is the source of every good gift. You, you agree with that? And I also believe that we're called with what God's given us to be stewards of all the good that God's given us. We're, it's not actually our money, it's God's money that He's delivered into our hands. We'll talk more about what that's for next week. 
So God's the source, we're the stewards, and I believe that everything goes best when we spend things according to the way the Master's laid out for us to do so. I don't always understand why God has laid it out. All I know is God has designed this, He's provided every good gift, and He's laid it out and said there's something good about this. What does Deuteronomy say is the reason for it? It says you leave these extras, and why? Because you were once slaves in Egypt. Because you once didn't have enough. And God provided, and there are others who need the goodness of what he's provided to you so that they can hear the story of God's providence in their lives. From Israel's beginning, God commanded his people to set aside a portion of all that they have. And this is the challenge I want to give you in 2017. What is it that you need to set aside this year? What margin, what corners of your field, what edges do you not need to glean? So that God can somehow tell the story of his providence, his, his, his sustenance in your life, what he's done for Israel, what he's done for the church. What margin can you create so that you can tell the story of what God's done for you? And for some of you, it's like margin. What in the world are you talking about, Colin? Because at the end of the month, it never seems like there's enough. Perhaps this is a new thought for you. Maybe no... No one taught you this growing up, or maybe churches kind of stayed away from this topic. Again, my experience has been we talk far less than most people think about money. And perhaps you can't imagine, I want to encourage you again, financial peace is a great place to go to begin to think about these principles, to begin to think of how might I rearrange to somehow find enough. Because I think God designed for us to thrive as generous people. And you, you, you won't find a way to be generous if it's the last budget item at the end of the month. The only f- way you're going to find a way to be generous is if you set out at the beginning and say, this is God's and this is what we're going to learn and somehow trust God to, to live with. Holly and I have been committed to, to, to tithing to the local church since those floral couch days. And in those days, uh, it didn't make any sense if we talked to anyone else about that who wasn't a Christian, who didn't understand. And sometimes I wonder how we got by in in those early years. We believe that God has blessed that commitment. And we have a desire not just to stop there, but to continue to increase that over the years. And God has provided every step of the way. And that may seem like an impossibility right now. Next week, I want to talk more practically about how you begin to take steps toward this kind of margin in in your life. Uh, But I want you to have this conversation in your families. Make sure this isn't a taboo subject with your children so that Satan doesn't get the power over this area in their lives that sometimes he did in ours. Make this a comfortable conversation. Teach your children about what this looks like and and put it on display in your own lives so they can see it. How do we create intentional corners in our income so that we'll be committed to be generous with those things? What would it look like this year that when someone that you want to give to comes and asks you and you're able to say yes instead of, the common response that comes because of just the things that come by that you're unfortunately able, not able to do that in that season. It would be wonderful to be able to say yes, wouldn't it? And that comes through intention. It comes through those first fruits. And you never know what might come through the corners of your field if you choose to leave those edges. You never know who God might send through those corners. Boaz certainly found out in a story in Scripture. Boaz was a wealthy landowner who... Uh, who apparently had read Deuteronomy chapter 24. 
Watch what God does to Boaz's obedience in this story. It's the story of Ruth. If you have your Bibles, feel free to open with me. Ruth chapter 2. Story about Ruth, but it's a story about Boaz. It's a story about Deuteronomy 24. This is the story, Ruth 2, beginning in verse 1. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Does that sound familiar, leftover grain? Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. And just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters, the Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she's the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field. Don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting. Follow along after the women. I've told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? We know the answer, don't we? Because God said in Deuteronomy 24, you're to remember that you were once slaves in Egypt. And because of that, you open up these fields, you leave them at the edges and the corners of the harvest, you leave all this. Why did Boaz remember Ruth? Because they listened to the command in Deuteronomy 24 that had been passed on. And guess who shows up? His future wife. And you know who comes from this line? Boaz? Ruth? She was a widower, she was a foreigner, but her great-grandson is King David. And from that line comes Jesus. I don't know what to draw from that story fully, other than to know that in the life of Boaz, it was his commitment to what God had commanded years ago, to leave the edges of his field that comes the very person that God would send that shows up in the line of David in the New Testament. I don't know what 2017 looks like, and I don't know who might show up at the edges of your field, but my guess is that God might just give you a chance to tell His story of redemption and liberation in your life. So let us be generous. Let's find ways to create margin this year. Let's find those edges of our field and not glean them fully because God might just send someone we would have never expected to share this story of good news with. Let's close with prayer. This morning, God, I, I thank you for the strange commandments you give us. God, it doesn't make sense to live on 90% when we could live on 100. It's not really good financial planning advice in many ways, but God, many of us have come to trust and we found that you have provided in the midst of us finding margin, finding first fruits in our lives that we hand over to the priest, the, the foreigner, the widow, the stranger. So God, Today and in the weeks to come, would you engage us in our conversations and our 
connecting point groups and our families as we engage a matter that sometimes is taboo, and, and what's taboo often has power that we don't imagine in our lives. And so God, would you break that power, power of, of that money sometimes has over us to make us feel secure? God, would, would you be that steadiness in our lives, God? And we we want to trust you with this, trusting that somehow, God, you'll move and, and work and we'll be able to trust you even greater in the days to come. And God, we pray for those who may just show up at the edges of our field as we create this margin. God, prepare us to tell your story when that day comes. Remind us that we were once slaves in Egypt, or maybe for us, we were once dead in our sin. But God, you've liberated us through Jesus. And so God, we thank you for the story, for this reminder from Ruth and that life, and the reminder of Moses who commands the Israelites. God, we believe uh, that you work in this way. And so God, help us to be generous. And we have eyes wide open expecting of who you will put in our paths as a result of it. We thank you for Jesus, and it's in his name that we pray this morning. Amen.